Welcome to Understanding Christianity, a podcast. I'm your host, Pastor Sean Cole. I'm lead pastor of Emmanuel Baptist Church in Sterling, Colorado. I'm also an adjunct professor at Colorado Christian University, teaching New Testament, Old Testament, systematic theology, church history, ethics. And I want to begin this podcast by asking a very important question. Uh, that maybe you've never thought of before. Uh, The question is, just how truly sovereign is God? Now, most Christians, when you talk to them, would say, we believe in a sovereign God. We believe God is is sovereign. But the question is, is He absolutely sovereign? How how powerful is God? Would you say He's 75% sovereign? Would you say, well, he's in control of 98% of things, but there's that 2% over which God has no control. And the question then becomes, if God is not 100% absolutely sovereign, then why would we trust in a God who's less than 100% sovereign and powerful? And only a supremely sovereign God is worthy of worship. And what concerns me in the Christian world today is that many people will give lip service to the sovereignty of God, but when it comes to issues related to His plan being worked out in the world, there are some people that actually believe that God's plan, God's purposes can be thwarted, that God's plans can be stopped. I was a little shocked uh, this past summer at the Southern Baptist Convention. I am a Southern Baptist pastor, and I follow things related to the Southern Baptist Convention. And this past summer at the convention, there was a panel discussion uh, between three gentlemen, all of different theological persuasions, um, hosted by Ed Stetzer of Lifeway Research. And the three panelists were, were pretty Uh, popular names in the Southern Baptist world. You had Dr. Frank Page, who is the president of the executive committee of the Southern Baptist Convention, one of the higher um, profile people in our convention. Uh, The other person was David Platt. Many of you know David Platt. He is the former pastor of Brook Hills Church in Birmingham, Alabama. He wrote the book Radical. He's now the president of the International Mission Board. And then there was Trevin Wax. Trevin Wax is also um, with Lifeway. He's the general editor of the Gospel Project. And so all three of these men were asked questions related to how the issue of God's sovereignty um, is related to evangelism and missions. Because right now in our convention, there are some, I don't want to use the word battle, but there are some discussions, some heated discussions going on in relation to the issue of God's sovereignty. Just how sovereign is God? Do, do humans have autonomous free will? Do we have libertarian free will? Or is God the one who has free will? And so there's this conversation that's going on in our convention right now. And, and there's different sides. And um, obviously, it's something that can't be um, discussed in just a, a brief podcast like this because it's pretty massive what's been going on. But one of the things that 
took me back was a comment made by Dr. Frank Page in this exchange he had with David Platt. And so I want to just play a little bit of that clip for you to see the context of the question that was being asked. And I just want you as a listener to see if, if the comments by Dr. Frank Page shocked you the way they shocked me as, as a Southern Baptist pastor, as one who um, holds dearly to the doctrines of grace, who holds dearly to the authority of Scripture, I was somewhat a little taken back by his comments. And I think David Platt was, too, in the way that he answered. So let's listen to this exchange um, from last summer's 2014 Southern Baptist Convention panel discussion hosted by Ed Stetzer with Dr. Frank Page, David Platt, and Trevin Wax. Let's listen to that, and then I want to make some comments after we do that. Um, hey, I'm Ed Stetzer. I work at Lifeway and... Uh, General Editor of the Gospel Project, serve along with Trevin Wax, who's the Managing Editor. General Editor means I don't do much. Managing Editor means he does much. And, uh, and so we're excited that you're here. The Gospel Project, as you know, has just exploded in about two years to uh, over half a million users a week now are using some Gospel Project resource. And so uh, theologically rich, and we're not, we don't shy away from theological questions and theological issues. That's one of the things we're planning to do today. Uh, as, as we heard, we've got a word of thanks from our sponsors, and we appreciate them very much and, and, uh, and them being here as well. Let me introduce to you the members of the panel. David Platt. Um, is a, the pastor of the church at Brook Hills, um, the, at the time, the youngest megachurch pastor. You know you're no longer the youngest mega. It, it's inevitable. I'm okay with that. It's all right. It's no problem not being that. I, uh, <laughs> and uh, David Platt is uh, kind of a big deal. He has many leather-bound books, and his office smells of rich mahogany. Um, okay, n- none of that's true. Uh, but David Platt lo- is a great guy. Loves you. He's written, uh, most, I guess, best-known book would be Radical and uh, others as well. Uh, great. Great heart for global missions. Glad you're here, David. Uh, Trevin Wax is, uh, is, I already mentioned, the managing editor of the Gospel Project, uh, uber blogger, um, uber blogger, and uh, well-known writer and speaker. He's also written in fiction, which is fascinating to uh, all of us and impressive. Uh, well, some people say that my books are fiction, but they actually were not. Yours were intentionally fiction. Uh, and then we have none other than Frank Page and uh, the, the Frank Lynn Page. Uh, don't do that. That was really, uh, that's a motion later. Um, <laughs> So, I, I am on so many drugs right now, this is not going to go well. I just have to tell you, I am so stoned right now, it's not even funny. Um, I'm on three painkillers at the moment, so I don't know how this is going to go. Platt's like, uh-oh, be quiet. All right, let's move on from here. Um, so, uh, you're Frank Page, and you're the president of the executive committee, and, uh, and a really nice guy, loves Jesus, and hates Calvinists. And uh, so... Did you just say that? <laughs> Really hates them. Um, there was a car fire that you maybe went by in the car fire. That Frank was Page not said to my me, car. "Frank Page said to me, Calvinists did that, and uh, you might have seen that." And so he has a deep loathing for Calvinists and Calvinism. Um, he is a lion dog. Whereas David has a deep loathing for receiving Christ. Let's move on and let's talk about these two issues. Only once. <laughs> all right, let's 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 talk about this. All right, all kidding aside, says the man who is so stoned. Um, But today, I think we're trying to have a little bit of this conversation. Frank, you wrote a book on it. I believe there are people in hell today that should not be in hell today. And I believe they're in hell because God's people did not follow God's injunction. And I do not think that they're in hell because God wants them in hell. And God, you know, should have found somebody else to go share with them. God should have found somebody. That's, I'm saying in that 
train of thought. Oh, okay, that I got sometimes you. I got you. That sounded weirder, that. but I get yeah, what you're saying. Yeah, it did right. sound weird. Okay. Just, I believe there are go people for the heresy, Frank. Today. Don't, don't hold back. Run right people in. in hell today. Run right in. Here I am, everybody. Who should hey, there's not Pelagius. Be uh, all right, sorry. <laughs> good, David. So if I could push back, which I think. If you could go correct right the error that just was spewed forth <laughs> from the president. <laughs> so, and obviously, we, we all want to be careful with the terms here, but Job 42, no plan of God can be thwarted. He will accomplish all the purposes he says to accomplish. Now, does God will for all people to be saved? I, I believe Scripture speaks to his will in that way in different ways. So what I mean by that? is when we see Scripture talk about God's will, we see at least two senses what He declares in His Word and what He decrees in the world. So this is the way we've walked through this as a church. I've led our people to think through. Like, His will. I think Genesis 37 through 50, Joseph narrative. Did God will for Joseph's brothers to sell him into slavery? Well, yes and no. Like, no, he doesn't say sell people into slavery. But Genesis 50 is clear. God did this. God ordained this for the saving of many lives. So that it's what he decreed in the world, not what he declared in his word. Same, same thing uh, when it comes to the, the crucifixion of Christ. Did God will the murder of his son? Oh, Yes and no. Like, no in the sense that he didn't say, you soldiers, I'm commanding you to murder. And nowhere in his word does he declare you should murder. At the same time, this was not an accident that was out of his control. Like, he, his plan was to crush his son. It's what he decreed in the world. And so, so does God will for all people to be saved? Yes and no. Like, yes, absolutely, in the sense that 2 Peter 3, 9, he desires the salvation of all people. There's no question. God loves the whole world. John 3, 16. I mean, he loves the whole world. He desires all, all, all salvation. He desires that all would come to repentance. He's a patient God toward that end. Um, at the same time, not everybody's saved, which we obviously all agree on. I mean, no, nobody's universalist here. Like, and so what he decrees in the world and it's not out of his control. Uh, and so that's, that's where I would, I, would, I would push back some. So when we're talking about the plan of God and the desire of God and the will of God uh, to, to be, I don't know, I want to be careful with the way we use those. Okay, and you're pushing back on, you would want to disagree with Frank's statement, and I want to give you the chance to respond, that there are people in hell that God wanted in heaven. He wanted them in heaven in the Second Peter three nine sense, no question. Right. So and, and that's a that's a, and that's not just a fake desire. Like it's a real desire that God has that we see reflected, revealed by Him in His Word. He desires people's all people's salvation. Amen. But at the same time, not all people are saved, and it's not because. And I don't think I don't think Frank would would say this, but it's not because uh, the will of God has been thwarted. Uh, has the will of God been thwarted? Is that Absolutely, what you it's been thwarted. Okay, so you would say the will of God has been thwarted. We thwart God's will every day. Okay. His, what he declares in his word? Come on. Yes. 
Yes. We, we what he decrees in the world, would you, would you see? I, that's your terminology. Yeah. I, it's not scriptural. I would not use that in exactly the same way. Okay, so so like, respond though to the general idea, which is that if God has intentionally, I'm, I'm trying to change your language, if, if, if this is God's decreed will, I'm not doing very well changing your language because I use your language. Uh, <laughs> so what he said, how do you disagree with that? I mean, I got the well, same and language. just to, to clarify what I mean, yeah. like, so did Joseph's brothers thwart God's will? Yes and no. Yes, they disobeyed God's word. There's no question, in the sense that I think Frank was just saying. But that uh, which God, uh, you know, what, that which they meant for evil, God meant for good. Yes, exactly. Right. So they, dis, they disobeyed God's word. At the same time, they were doing mm-hmm. what in this mystery of divine sovereignty and human responsibility, and they were responsible for what they did. It's not that mm-hmm. they were robots uh, just fatalistically determined to do this. As a, no, they, they chose to sell their brother. They chose to sin against God. But even in that, God was sovereign over it, and he was ordaining the saving of many lives. And the same, yeah. So, so did, the, did the soldiers who murdered Christ, were they thwarting God's will? No, they were accomplishing God's will while disobeying God's will. Yeah, I think you are definitely building a logical construct on thwarting but I don't think you're buying into the logical construct on thwarting. Not totally. Okay, so, so you articulate, again, hearing what you've heard from him, and then I'm going to have Trevin jump in, is how would you therefore articulate that people that God wanted, that was the word you used, that God wanted in heaven are in hell, and how is that related to the will of God and the decree and things of that sort? I would agree with almost everything that Brother David has just said. Uh, I don't use particular words that he used. But I do agree with almost everything he said. I do believe that God in his sovereignty, which is, by the way, a concept seldom used in Scripture, but I do affirm that concept. Yeah, you can't really throw that out there so casually. You do believe in the sovereignty of God. I do believe in the sovereignty of God, though it is not used near to the extent that some of my friends use it. It's a it defining is, theological concept. It is a concept defining today. theological concept. But does God's sovereignty imply God controls everything? I don't think he would say that. Uh, I would not say that. It, according to his eyes and his gasping, I think he does. That God controls everything. Now, I want to be careful with terms Please here. Be like, I'm not sure exactly what you mean. Hey, when you, you don't say need me control. anymore. Let's just let this run. <laughs> you started My it. My work here boy. is done. <laughs> I, 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 I want to. Terms are so important yes. in these discussions because yes. does God. Yeah, there's so many, we throw out questions and then, well, I disagree with that, but you're thinking one thing and I'm thinking one thing on, on, on terms. And so does God control everything? Yes. In no. the sense. No. In, well, go ahead. Go yeah, ahead. I'm, I'm, I'm let me define what I'm control playing with you. Go ahead. is. Yeah. In the sense that, and, and I'm saying that you'll still, you would agree with me, but in the sense that he is sovereign over every detail in the universe, that, that nothing out, happens outside of the ultimate purpose of his will, every single detail. Now, what I don't mean by that is that he controls in a way that negates choices. I mean, that's what we've talked about in, in the church that I pastor. God's in control, we make choices. So in a, in a way that negates human responsibility for what's going on in the world, um, uh, for what goes on in our lives, like that is clearly taught in scripture and an understanding of God's sovereignty that negates that kind of responsibility and, uh, and choice that man makes 
is, I, th I think, missing the point. I want to give you the opportunity to respond, Frank. I've got a text here from Greg Boyd who'd like some clarity as well. So go ahead and jump right in uh, on that. Sorry, six people got the joke, but I enjoyed it. Yes. Uh, again. <laughs> I, you know, I, I respectfully disagree. Uh, perhaps, again, it's terminology issues that we're dealing with here, David, because when I think of sovereignty and I, I think of control that is perhaps more extensive than that which you are defining. I do believe God's foreknowledge is complete. It is total. He knows. He has a will. But in essence, I think what some are saying, perhaps you are, I'm not, I'm not going to put you totally in that category, that God is in control. God is sovereign over every detail, you say. And that makes God responsible for our irresponsibilities ultimately. Or else, can that person say no to that sovereign will? The answer to me is yes, we see it. The, the rich young ruler went away sorrowful. Why did not God say to him, come back, son, it doesn't really matter. You, you have no choice in this. I'm sovereign. You had to do, you had to say no to me. Well, I think he had a choice, and God wanted him desperately to come into the kingdom to to give up his wealth, to give up and, and to do that which is right, but he chose to say no. Is God sovereign over that rich young ruler? You, you perhaps would say yes. I would say that, that aspect or that definition of sovereignty takes a control issue beyond that which I see scripturally manifest. Now, after listening to that exchange and thinking about the comments that were made, let me just allow the scriptures to speak for themselves in relation to God's absolute sovereignty. And so I'm going to read these scriptures. We'll start in the Old Testament. And, I, and most of these scriptures are going to speak for themselves. I may make a few comments here and there, but I just want you to hear what the Bible says about God's absolute sovereignty. Psalm 135, verse 6. Whatever the Lord pleases, He does in heaven and on earth, in the seas and all the deeps. Whatever the Lord pleases, He does. He does it in the heavens. He does it on earth. He is supremely sovereign. No one can tell the Lord what to do. No one can tell the Lord what not to do. He alone rules and reigns over the universe. He does what He pleases. And so if God does what He pleases in heaven and on earth then can his absolute sovereign plan be thwarted? Can anybody stop what God pleases to do? Isaiah 14, verse 27. For the Lord of hosts has purposed, and who will annul it? His hand is stretched out, and who will turn it back? Now, this is a rhetorical question asked by the prophet Isaiah, and it's meant to be answered with a resounding, no, there is no power or person or thing in the universe that can turn back God's ordained purposes. Notice what the text says, for the Lord of hosts has purposed. God has purposed things. God has a decree. God has a purpose. God has a plan. And the, and the text says, who will annul it? The word annul there means who will stop, who will cancel it, who will somehow thwart it. And the answer is nobody. 
His hand is stretched out. Who's going to turn back the sovereign, powerful hand of God? If God chooses to do something, if God has a plan and a purpose, by very nature of His sovereign decree, God is going to accomplish it. Listen again to the words of Isaiah, chapter 46, verses 9 through 10. Remember the former things of old, for I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand and I will accomplish all my purpose. Now, God here is saying He's absolutely God. There's no other God like Him. He receives all the glory, all the honor, all the power. Notice what God Himself is saying. I will accomplish all my purpose. It doesn't, God doesn't say, I'm going to try really hard to somehow accomplish part of my purpose. No, God says, I will accomplish all my purpose. And so if God says He's going to accomplish something, God's not a procrastinator. God doesn't somehow get off schedule. God doesn't somehow get sidetracked. If God is going to accomplish something and He says He's going to accomplish it, we have to trust by the very nature of God that He's going to accomplish it. He's going to accomplish all His purposes. So God has purposes, God has plans, God has a decree, and He's going to accomplish those. Nothing's going to stop what God has planned. He knows the future, He knows the past. He's going to accomplish it. Daniel chapter 4, verse 35. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing. And he does according to his will among the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And no one can stay his hand or say to him, what have you done? All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing in the sense that God is sovereignly working out His purposes in the earth. We oftentimes think that we're working out our sovereign purposes, but really God is working out His sovereign purposes. And it says no one can stay His hand. No one can stop God's hand. Oftentimes in the scriptures, the the hand is a metaphor for God's activity especially in the book of Exodus when God leads the Israelites out of bondage and through the Red Sea. Oftentimes the metaphor is used of God's outstretched hand performing miracles and power. And the images is when God stretches out His hand, it represents His power, it represents His sovereignty. And no one can stay His hand. No one can stop His hand. No one can thwart His hand. No one can arm wrestle God and, and win if God has a purpose. And this is the, the passage of Scripture that David Platt quoted, um, Job 42.2. This is at the end of the book of Job when God has revealed himself in the whirlwind, told Job, brace yourself like a man, and then God begins to recount all the things that he's done in his glorious creation. And he says, you know, Job, were you there when I laid the stars in the heavens? And basically uh, just reveals himself an awesome power to Job. And then this is what Job comes to the conclusion after being um, confronted by a sovereign God in Job 42.2. It says this, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. No purpose, no plan, no decree of God can be thwarted. And the word thwarted means stopped or stymied or somehow sidetracked. 
No plan of God's can be thwarted. That, that includes the plans of the devil, because obviously the devil has to get permission from God before he even acts, as well as humans. You know, a lot of people think the universe is set up kind of like a dualism, this dualistic universe, where somehow God and Satan are equal and opposing forces that are at war with one another, and, and, and we really don't know who's going to win in the end. And so it's kind of like this chess match. God makes a move, and then uh, Satan reacts and makes a move, and then God's not sure what's going to happen next, so he makes a move. But ultimately, God's going to win, but he's not sure how, how to play the game. He's reacting to the moves on the chessboard. That's not the God of the Bible. Now, Paul in the New Testament really makes this overarching statement of God's sovereignty in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 11. He says, In Him we've obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of Him who works out all things according to the counsel of His will. Notice how this verse says that God works out all things. Not just some things, not just big important things, but all things. And how does He work these all things out? according to the counsel of His will, His purpose, His plan. I mean, we could go on and on with these scriptures that teach God's absolute sovereignty. And so when we look at the testimony of Scripture and what Scripture says about God's sovereignty, it's sometimes surprising to hear people in leadership, people at high levels of denominational service, making statements that seem to contradict what the scripture's teaching. Now, if I sat down with Dr. Page and had a conversation, I'm sure we maybe could, could clarify these things out. And so all we really have to go by is what we've heard in this, um, this panel discussion. But I think it's important for us as Christians to understand that in our evangelical subculture that we live in, uh, there's a push to want to elevate man to this high point of um, existence where he has unlimited autonomous free will and that he's got this um, innate ability in and of himself or herself to be able to make choices to trust Christ for salvation. And what people often fail to understand is that the Bible actually speaks more about human inability to come to Christ than human ability. I mean, we could go on and on about the teachings of this in the scriptures in John chapter 6, where Jesus says, No one can come to me unless it's granted to him by the Father, and I will raise him up on the last day. No one can come. Uh, the, the, The original language there speaks of ability. No one has the inherent ability or power to come unless God does something in raising that person up and drawing that person. And so humans just don't have the innate ability to somehow choose positively for Christ without God doing a work of grace in their lives to bring them to the point of granting faith even as a gift. I mean, Ephesians chapter 2 is probably one of the most important passages of Scripture that teaches this concept 
you know, Ephesians chapter 2 talks about being dead in sin. It talks about being enslaved to the prince of the power of the air, Satan, walking in the ways of our flesh, walking according to the ways of the world. It says that we were by, by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. There's this picture of, of spiritual deadness, of being under God's wrath, of being totally unable to, to somehow positively choose. It talks about our, our, bond, our will being in bondage as being dead in sin. And that's why Paul goes on to say, but God, who is rich in mercy, even though you were dead in sins and your trespasses, made you alive together with Christ. By grace, you're saved. God has to make a sinner alive in order for that sinner to be able to have the faith to come to Christ. And the faith that a sinner places in Christ is not faith that comes from the sinner. It's faith that God gives as a gift to the sinner in regeneration when he makes the sinner alive. That's why Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, For it is by grace you've been saved through faith. It is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. The, the issue in that text is that even the faith that we have to believe in Jesus is itself a gift. Why does it have to be a gift? Well, it has to be a gift because we are dead in sin. We can't exercise faith as dead sinners. We can't exercise faith as those who are in bondage to sin. We can't exercise faith as those who are children of wrath. We can't exercise faith until God makes us alive and God grants us the gift of faith. And once God does that in regeneration, we freely receive Christ. We freely come to Christ. We freely trust in Christ. Why do we do it freely? Because our will, our mind, our heart, our stony dead heart, as Ezekiel would say, has been replaced with the heart of flesh. It's been liberated. It's been liberated. And so we need to just come to the, the conclusion from the Scriptures that God has sovereign freedom to act in the world the way that he wants to act according to his purposes. And I think we get this topsy-turvy in our Christian subculture. We want to elevate man to have the ultimate power and will and sovereignty to do as he pleases, even when it comes to salvation, even when it comes to choosing Christ. And we often forget that the Bible speaks more about the inability of man to come to Christ and the sovereignty and freedom of God to save whom he wants. That's a discussion for another day. But it's just interesting when you come across these discussions by uh, people in leadership and, and you're kind of taken aback. And so um, this conversation that was had about evangelism and missions and God's sovereignty, I just thought it was interesting to hear. Uh, it kind of took me back a little bit that, that the president of our executive committee would say that God's purposes can be thwarted. Uh, I just didn't want to expect to hear that. And so uh, I, I just wonder what your opinion is of that. If you uh, were taken aback the same way, I'd love to hear your comments. You can email me at sean at ebc-online.org. You can find me on Facebook. You can find me on Twitter, SD Cole, or you can visit my website, seancole.net. <laughs>